Okay, guys, we're among the stones today with Mike Rogowski. Um, so tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Mike Rogowski. So my uh, Instagram is Home Gym Hero, and I also have a another Instagram for my uh, Etsy store uh, at Magnanimous Metals. Uh, that's for uh, the art that I make with steel scrolling. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that too later. <laughs> but yeah, so I um, my background is kind of old time strongman stuff, grip sports, steel bending. Uh, I like to do a lot of the uh, old time, like an all around weightlifting type stuff. A anything really that has to do with strength, I probably am uh, interested in dipping my toes in it at some point or some degree. Um, but yeah, I, beyond that, uh, I know a lot about kind of the science of this stuff. I have a master's in exercise physiology. I have a PhD in nutritional science. Um, it doesn't really factor too much into the specific training I do, but I can probably tell you a lot about uh, what goes on uh, with that stuff. But uh, yeah, so that's my, oh, and I should say too, um, I compete at the 83 kilogram weight class uh, for grip sport and steel bending and 80 kilogram weight class for arm lifting, arm lifting USA. Uh, so my walking around weighs somewhere around 81 kilograms, but I cut down uh, to, for contests or stuff. So that's kind of my my thing is that I'm I'm pretty good for that weight class. I don't have any, uh, not big enough <laughs> for the, the the total world records, but I do pretty well for for my where I'm at. Awesome, yeah. We uh we heard you won King Kong at 80 kilos. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh 2020, and uh, that that was surprising actually because the years before I don't think I I was above six uh, sixth place in that, and that kind of became my goal. Uh, uh, it had been for a while, but like that was what I was really reaching for the year before was to eventually win King Kong in my weight class, and I thought that I could do that. Um, and then the next year it happened. Uh, so that was like a lifelong goal that already capped off. And I should say too, um, it, uh, that really was just a confluence of things that came together that had uh, a new event, the grab ball that really favored me. I have really strong fingertip strength. Um, so a lot of people were struggling to figure that out. I took to it like a duck in water uh, and I really honed in on my attempts. I didn't in total, as far as like from attempts that I picked versus attempts that I missed, I didn't even give up two kilograms over the course of the four lifts. Um, so I picked my attempts well, and I think some competitors that maybe could have beaten me didn't pick their attempts as well. Uh, so uh, that the other thing I should say too is I'm kind of a generalist, so I don't uh, fall too far on certain events. And when you have reverse strongman scoring, you really get punished for events that you bomb uh, compared to the rest of the field. Yeah. Uh, there's really no way to come back uh, to, and still get first place if you dip below fourth place in any one event based on that type of scoring, I would say. Yeah, I love the grab ball myself, so it's a good event. I like I, there's, there's some about those uh, tip tester style events that uh, I just like. Uh, you can really hurt yourself on them too, so you can't uh, uh, go too hard. That's what I would tell 
people starting out don't just don't just max out on those things. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how you do on the on the potato because it's definitely a, a tip tester type implement for sure. Yeah, and that's what I thought was interesting about it too. And I saw like you kind of have like the washers sticking out. I was like, okay, yeah. So somebody with like really big mitts, like they're not gonna you know, try to completely like wrist wrap that thing or something. Exactly. Yeah, so definitely it's like a pinch on the thumb. It's like a thumb smash and then a fingertip lift. So yeah, well, that's got me interested in it as an implement because like it's just fat enough that you have to really engage your thumb. You're limited because you have to, you know, use your tips, but it's it's kind of wide enough that you really get that kind of fat bar kind of feel though mm -hmm. too. So I, I just thought it was just an interesting idea. It's I, I definitely a fun one. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty humbling. A lot of people uh, thought they would do quite a bit more than they wound up doing. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be neat to see what you pull on that sucker for sure. So what got you into doing uh, grip sport and grip training and all the, and, you know, steel bending? Well, I would say like it first started off as like strongman stuff. You know, you see mm -hmm. on ESPN, old school, strongman, world's strongest man. And oh, yeah, for sure. That, we grew like, up watching that. Yeah. Christmas. stuff was cool. And seeing like the you seen like the steel bars they've been like some of the old stuff is just dangerous yeah <laughs> <laughs> looking back you know it looked cool at the time but uh when they were doing the the rebar and stuff like that or, or maybe it was i forget what the specific steel was it looked like rebar but they um knowing what i know now as a, as a steel bender uh, and just what they were doing or actually the rules that they had in place having them do and talking with other strong men where sometimes they've seen that event come back. Um, it, it's very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And that's not that kind of specialty for those types of athletes. So it's just not a good fit. But I did feel really good when I realized one day that I, I'm bending bars that are what they were trying to bend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that's kind of, I'd say the first thing that got me into just that, that title, the world's strongest man. And I thought like, oh yeah, that, that's, I could do that. Uh, I didn't grow up to be a uh, world's strongest man, uh, stock. Uh, I'd say that I'm about five, five, uh, not even like 180 pounds. So, uh, didn't quite work out like I thought it would, but I always, part of that was, is that I knew uh, growing up from uh, just, you know, my friends, my peers, whatever, I knew I was significantly stronger uh, than just the average person. So I, that was just something that I thought I had a natural affinity for, and I wanted to bring that out. I wanted to show that. Uh, the other kind of part of that is, is that uh, we talk about like the Popeye gene in my family, like my, my brother, my father, his uncles, my cousins, uh, the men anyway on the family like we have just naturally have really big forearms uh so that grip strength i feel like i have kind of a genetic advantage so i feel like uh it's just a strength to play to uh and the other thing i'd say the other phase of that was when i finally got a hold of uh the iron mine stuff you know the grippers that they yeah. had uh the steel bending certifications that would that just made me realize like oh there's like a a list like you can get on you can get recognized for this stuff that just kind of lit a fire under me and just it, it opened up the world of, of grip to all the different types of implements all the different ways you train it, all the different things it meant to have hand strength and just kind of you know getting into having a really solid background in weightlifting and knowing 
you know, more about the old time strongman stuff. Uh, just that that hand strength was so foundational. It's really like a good set of tires, you know, like you're the engine. You can only do so much with a good engine if your tires don't have any tread. That's the analogy I like to say. Um, and so just how powerful you felt uh, with that extra grip. You were able to fully utilize your strength. And I remember, like, I, I did wrestling and football. I wasn't that good at those. But in wrestling, like, I was definitely the strongest wrestler. And I could just, you know, grab hold of people and they couldn't get free. Uh, so stuff like that. So it, it felt really rewarding. But there was just something about it. I felt like that I had a natural affinity for it. So it just made me want to go even harder to it. Uh, and with the steel bending, that came, the bending a red nail became like my primary strength goal for like a long time since like I heard about it. Uh, and it took me a long time to get there. Uh, but that kind of uh, opened my eyes to steel bending. I would do strongman shows, you know, kind of like the old time strongman performance stuff. So I got exposed to uh, doing steel bending for shows. And then I got really into it with the competitive steel bending almost only a couple of years ago when uh, David Horn and his World of Grip uh, started hosting these uh, online steel bending competitions for brace bending. And I knew what I was doing. I'd done it, that stuff before, but uh, honing that technique and taking it to another level and finding out that I could keep up with, uh, you know, I'm not the number one overall, but for my weight class, I usually am. Uh, in steel bending, getting that feedback that like, hey, you know, I can crack into the top 10 in some of these events, regardless of weight class, I, I'm better at this than I thought. I just thought I was, you know, kind of strong and knew what I was doing. I didn't realize I was this good at it. And it just made me want to do more. Right. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Awesome. So what do you consider your greatest athletic achievement? Uh, the, as far as uh, the greatest athletic achievement is probably uh, for contest wise, probably winning King Kong uh, for my weight class. Uh, like I said, I feel like that's kind of like an achievement of a lifetime. My my goal is to podium again to at least get in the top three. I think that would be good. Uh, I, I don't, you know, the competition just keeps getting tougher, and. Uh, I would say too, like a lot of people are really good at the rolling handle lifts and I, that's not, I'm okay at that, but like some people just blow me out of the water with that. So it's like I said, it's hard to maintain that top four position when people keep getting so much right. better at that stuff. But I, I, I'd like to podium again, as far as a, a, if I was to pick out one single thing to uh, create as a confidence, probably bending a Goliath bar. I spent a lot of time working on that. Uh, and for those that don't know, a Goliath bar is the, an inch and a half wide, half inch, uh, thick steel flat bar that's 48 inches long. Uh, I'm definitely one of the lightest people to have done that. Uh, not the lightest, because uh, I know like you know, so there's some performing strongmen like uh, Dennis Rogers or um, oh, what's his name? Um, I'm drawing a blank. I don't know. Uh, crap. It was, uh, it was in the documentary Bending Steel. Uh, I've, I've, I've met the guy in person and I'm Blank, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, some, some people have bent uh, uh, those types of bars, but not too many that were uh, in, in my weight class, I would say. Um, I would uh, try to think if there's 
it's kind of hard. It, there's there's always uh, that next thing. I would say, oh, the other one, the other major one, I would say, people ask me, like, what's my most impressive lift? And this does kind of overlap in the grip strength is uh, deadlift, one-arm deadlifting, 450 pounds. No that's hook. crazy. <laughs> no hook. Wow, that's incredible. That's crazy. Yeah, and that, and that was uh, that was a handle, though. So that was a handle lift, not a, a barbell. I should clarify that. Uh, so that that's a different dimension, but still, it it is the full weight. I pulled my minor pec in my oh. <laughs> right side doing that, mind you. Uh, so it was uh, it was rough. <laughs> I haven't I haven't touched that lift that heavy since then. I think eventually maybe I could do five hundred pounds if I really try. But uh, once you start getting up that high, things uh, obviously start to fall apart. Yeah, that's incredible, especially your body weight. That's just crazy. Uh, a one-handed lift. My favorite lifts, too, though, because it, it really engages everything in the asymmetry of it. Uh, you're working muscles that you wouldn't normally work. Yeah. Uh, you just have to be careful about it, and you just have to be mindful of how, if you're trying to do both sides, you, you know, you're doing a lot more volume than you think because the other side's engaged, too. When you're yeah, doing yeah. Right, it's just not quite the same. Like you're still pulling with your entire body. Um, so if you do, a, you know, uh, you know, one set on, and then another, it's not like you work like your right press and your left press. Like you've done yeah. two sets now when you do right and left with uh, one arm. So you can't, you got to be mindful of how much volume you're actually doing with that lift and how when you actually do go heavy. And I would say too, like, you know, you start, when you get that heavy, you start, tearing skin like the mechanical properties of your just basic stuff start falling apart at that kind of uh, friction yeah definitely that's yeah that's crazy weight man i've never dealt with that so i i don't understand the mechanics of tearing my skin open yet my grip hasn't quite <laughs> gotten that strong i've torn the webbing a couple times and had some grippers mess with me pretty good because i'm messing with like number threes and whatnot now and those can like start to you know give you a little bit of issue but Nothing like that. <laughs> yeah. How long that, have you been training, Britt? Uh, I would say uh, is, there's a couple of phases of training, uh, I would say, in my lifetime that you could count as the start. Uh, I would my we had like a, one of those like really small aerobic weight sets when I was little growing up. And I think I started messing around with the it's, it's one that goes from like eight, five and three. I started messing around with that. I think it's early as like eight years old. Um, you know, never went too heavy, didn't really know what I was doing, just kind of mimicked basic lifts that I got. Uh, then I got my first real weight set when I was uh, 12 years old, and that went up to about 110 pounds and uh, worked that pretty well. And I outgrew that in like a year uh, in terms of like the, the lower body lifts that was became too easy. So as far as like regular weight training, I started that. When I was like 12 and I started actually doing sports around then and those usually had some kind of strength training component too um, which is why when I got to like 16 years old I had a eventually I had an injury that I couldn't continue the wrestling season with but I could still do some other stuff and uh, that just made me realize you know I've always been better at the weightlifting I was always like you know a stud in the weight room everyone else wasn't doing that you know when we had football practice and the conditioning and stuff I was really good at the weights I could barely handle a ball and I was so small that I wasn't really good at tackling people like I should have been uh but I so I decided like you know what I'm done with this stuff I'm done with football I had 
got too many concussions from that. I'm done with wrestling because I wasn't that great at it anyway and can't do the rest of the season. So I said, oh, I wonder if there's like some, I could do the strongman stuff. And so when I got, I got into like competing in uh, team division stuff for strongman training. So I would say 16 years old is when I actually started to train kind of heavy, purposefully trying to do those kind of more um, power movements and stuff. And uh, yeah, and my training was kind of like a mix, I would say, of doing like the old time stuff and what would be considered modern strongman. Uh, and I would say too, like I probably got off to a stunted start because like I, when I, I liked to read a lot when I was a kid. And all the materials that were out there at the time were really just for bodybuilding. And I didn't realize at the time that bodybuilders were considered the weakest of all strength athletes. And once I found that out, I was like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to do bodybuilding stuff anymore. I want to go, go more into strongman stuff. And I didn't realize though either. Cause like, you know, you'd read like muscle and fitness magazine or yeah. flex was the big one. I would look at these workouts and I'd think like, Oh, I got to be doing like six sets of, squats and then i'm gonna do six sets of leg presses and then like another six sets of legacy it's like those guys are all on steroids you're not gonna get shit doing that you know <laughs> so I'll, what i learned from that is that whatever i would improve at whatever exercise i did first and then after that i'd just be too tired and would do worse after that so i kind of from that trial and error I learned uh, what worked for me and what works for me is pretty low volume compared to a lot of other people. Uh, I just pick a, a basic movement that I do. I, I hit that and then I'll probably do some kind of like antagonist work, some like push pull kind of thing yeah. or like a lower total body lift. Maybe I'll do some ab accessory stuff afterwards. And then I'm always doing something with grip. Maybe it's uh, I'll do like a, if it's a big grip movement, maybe I can do some like narrow pinch. It doesn't tax much else. But usually I'm just rotating through grip movements every single workout. And even if I'm too tired to do a big lift, I'm prob there's probably some other grip movement that I can do. So it's usually a you know big compound lift, accessory lift. Maybe it's like a it's an antagonist, like push-pull kind of thing. So maybe there might be two main lifts. And then it's a grip work. So... That's, that's my workout. It's usually only like three to five exercises. I don't try to, I usually do sets of five. If I'm trying to get closer to a contest, I like doing sets of three. And then if I'm, you know, the week before a contest or something like that, I'm probably doing sets of two or sets of one. Uh, and that's it. Like I can get up pretty heavy with that and I don't need to do a ton of volume. I would say it, uh, you know, there's a point where volume I think works when you're first starting out in your phase but for me um, there comes a point where you're just making yourself tired and you're not supposed to just make yourself tired for the sake of it you're supposed to be getting stronger and those aren't the same thing for me absolutely yeah that's good stuff and do you do that like every day or how many days a week do you work your grip or do your workout in general? I would say pro probably in terms of workout, it's probably like five to six days a week. I, and a grip, it's probably close to like six to seven, just because like there's so many different movements with grip and even within like regular weight training there, I just work around what's not tired. I'm very much a, uh, if I'm sore, like let sleeping dogs lie, you know, uh, it, you just recover back. The other thing I should say too, is when you're training heavy, you need more rest. You're doing less volume 
uh, you're getting less sore, but you need more time to recover. It's very <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a lot of these, you know, when you're first starting out, you know, you do three sets of 10, um, you're sore the next day. And then the day after that, you're ready to go again. But I found like when you train really heavy, like especially when you start to get even heavier than say sets of five, you really need 72 hours of recovery, not 48. Yeah, that second day is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. When you're doing yeah. heavy. So like I'm more sore the second day than the first. It's it's really strange like that. Like if I found like you can do if you do super high volume, like you know, you're talking like sets of 20 plus, you'll be sore like an hour later. Yeah. You do like sets of like 10 or something, you're sore the next day. You do sets of three, you're sore two days later. Exactly. It's it's pretty much like that. Uh, it was, you know, individual experience may vary, but I found that to be very true. Um, but yeah, so for me, I just, I kind of work around what's, what's not tired. And I try to be mindful of that because I found that's when you, if you don't pay attention to that, it's when you start breaking down, it's when you start getting injuries, you yourself may not have pain, but when that muscle's fatigued or when you have that CNS fatigue, um, you it starts to bring out the worst in those kind of things. I think that's when you tend to get the most injuries, whether it's your tendons aren't recovered or um, something that you do was fine, but then you push on it again and now it's irritated. I actually have been experienced that a little bit with the metatarsals in my hand. I kind of boogered them up with some really short steel bends um, about a month ago. And then I started doing some other movements recently um, with uh, the fence post. I don't know if you've seen that, but mm -hmm. the vertical bar lift that's square. And so it right. kind of overextends your hand a little bit to get that tight. Yeah. And then the next day, like my metatarsal like, really hurt. I was like, oh, it, it wasn't necessarily because of that. It was because of what I did before in combination with that. So uh, those things keep cropping up, or, or I'd say creeping up on you, the more and more you just keep training stuff, you should probably rest. Yeah, I know after a big competition, too, you talk about CNS soreness. Man, after you get fired up and you're in a competition and you get, you know, two or three PRs, it, I'm just wiped the next day completely. Yeah, and I've noticed the last grip contest I was at, I was, my hands hurt. Like, yeah. it was worse than I'd seen. It wasn't like like I felt like I injured myself, but it was like definitely take a rest. And you think of yourself like, oh, it's just grip. Like, I mean, the rest of your body should be fine. But no, I was, I was wiped. My, yeah. my uh, bicep was sore later on from all, all the heavy pulling on it and all that. So uh, definitely, for sure, just any sort of competition, even just that camp up that you have to do to get oh, yeah. head space. Felt like I needed to eat a bunch of spinach so my forearm would feel better. <laughs> Can help. I mean, it's a good source of iron. Calcium. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, what do you think is your greatest blunder, blooper, or injury? Uh, as far as like, I would say I'm pretty good at not injuring myself because of like what I said. Like, I try to give myself enough time to recover. If something's not happening, I just, you know, I let leave it alone. Uh, I think some people get there, there's, you know, this expression of like, you can only ever do that next rep once. And, for, and then it's gone. You've missed that opportunity. It's like, well, okay, I guess. But, you know, there's no sense crying over spilled milk. Like, if it's going to hurt you, yeah, it's not yeah. worth it. So there's, there's a time and a place to really push it. 
And I think that's when you're like, you know, you're performing in front of people, you know, not to embarrass yourself, plus you're supposed to entertain them. Uh, when it's in competition, uh, that's the time to, to suck it up, to really turn it on. But if it's just not happening, it's just not happening, you know. Uh, don't, don't try to force it. And just think, I would say, if something's not clicking for a workout, just pivot and think of some other way you can make progress. Maybe you can't PR on the max lift that you can do, but maybe you can hold it for longer at this weight or something. Something's not going to tear up your hand. Or, like, you know, this comes up a lot in steel bending where it's just like, yeah, I could push it to the limit, but like, I gotta, I gotta, you know, make sure my hands healed or I'm going to push myself back even further. Uh, that can happen with a pinch training too. Uh, I, I think it's tempting to have like a, when you have an unsatisfactory workout with pinch training or there was a PR you were hoping to hit and then you didn't to start like really hitting negatives really heavy. Don't, don't do that. You're going to rip your webbing off really, really quick. Um, so you gotta, you gotta know when to hold back and that comes with experience. And I know some people that are from like the, the ultra intense crowd that are like really into the, psychology of things and they, they, they might not like that that might not fit with their style but I was, I'm, it's not that I can't do that it's just that I know that doing that all the time doesn't work for me it just sidelines longer but to get to your question I would say probably the one that I remember uh, most vividly was there was some I was bending a horseshoe I think I was trying to uh, turn it into a specialty bend so I, I, I bend them into weird shapes like a like look like snakes or like a reverse coils or like uh, like ribbons or something like that uh, and it flew out of my hand uh, something about like flew out of my hand and it was only from like here to here but the the tip of it the tip of the the horseshoe flew out of my hand at such speed that I hit the tip of my index finger and it drew blood so to, for reference, like the, the tip of that horseshoe was as, every bit as thick and blunt as my index finger is now. And that was enough to actually cut my skin with how fast that thing was flying at my finger. Uh, so that tells you how much of a blooper that was. Wow, yeah. The pressure in bending is, is nuts. I've socked myself in the, uh, in the face once or twice <laughs> doing that. I yeah. always, whatever I'm gripping, just any lifting in general that's above like a really mild intensity, I'd have a mouth guard in for sure. Uh, just yeah. because, uh, and it's not that I grip my teeth, it's just I want to avoid anything uh, remotely like that that could happen. And uh, yeah, the pressures in bending are just tremendous. And that's what I thought illustrated it very well. Because you're talking about, really, I just, it's like throwing something half a foot. And that was still enough force that a blunt object could cut my finger. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, absolutely. Hit yourself hard enough where you have to stop for a second. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that you do get the head rush, I would say with, with failed attempts at steel bending. That's for yeah. sure. Um, that's why I would say, uh, you know, there, there comes a time like when you when you get that, uh, it's worth trying again, maybe, but don't keep trying after you get yeah, yeah. You start seeing stars there. Uh, yeah, maybe try again another day. Yeah. Don't strap yourself to a bench so when you pass out, you just don't fall. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, yes, and I've been a, pretty a lucky. Ben Edwards. Uh, yeah, Ben Edwards exclusive. Yeah, right there. That's how he uh, learned how to put the pressure to the max and bending. Strap himself to the bench or to a like a tool bench or something, and he'd bend over. So when he passed out, I'd catch him. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty lucky with that. I haven't had uh, uh, too much of an issue with that. There have been, I would say, a few deadlifting attempts. Uh, where I could I could see the peripheral, clo- you know, closing in, but yeah. I never actually uh, passed out. So I feel uh, fairly resilient against that compared to like you know some other people. So other than a uh, podium and in uh, King Kong again, do you have any other major athletic goals that you're shooting for right now? Well, yeah. So the I'd say the main thing I think that's left to check uh, to check the box is uh, double body weight. Uh, double overhand axle deadlift. Uh, so I've been pretty close to that. Haven't, I would say I've hit a weight that I would be double body weight at my current weight that I wasn't double body weight, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I, if I just need to hit it while I'm lean enough. Uh, and so, so that'll come. I recently double overhand deadlifted 500 pounds on a regular bar. And so I think with a little bit of more training, it's probably going to take a couple more years because this took me a while, but I could probably get triple body weight on that. Um, Another lifelong goal I've kind of wanted to do that was really close is a 600 pound deadlift. Um, No, no belt or anything. I've done 585. So uh, I was getting there. I was hoping to do 600 when I did that, but I was like, well, didn't happen so whatever. do you do straps or just mixed grip when you're deadlifting that high uh just mixed grip i've never i've never needed to use straps with regular deadlifting i mean with partials yeah but um i to be honest like i never understood just because like i said i have a natural affinity for it i never understood why anyone would need uh straps if you were allowed to do mixed grip like it just it makes sense to me. Like I'm not getting taxed by doing mixed grip on these heavy lifts. I would say uh, what I actually do when I'm deadlifting is uh, to help cheat. I, I lift conventional. I, I never like the leverages with sumo, but for me, like I kind of monkey grip the bar, uh, not completely. My thumbs are involved, but when I mix grip, I actually kind of set it deeper here. So, you know, like this would be completely enclosed. I kind of grip it like this because my grip is strong enough to just hold on to the bar mixed and I'm shaving that like last half inch off that I don't have to lift it up. So I have so much uh, grip strength to spare that I can afford to shave off height. uh, Um, So, you know, the solution to that is just do double overhand until you can't anymore. Uh, And then, you know, make sure you're training both sides. and another thing I think can help too is if you do double underhand deadlifts, mm-hmm. that's going to train your bicep tendon to handle those heavy loads. That's uh, a good idea. Yeah, I've heard that. And, and it's it's really mechanically it's very advantageous. You'd be surprised how easy it feels uh, before your grip gives out. <laughs> it's it's a pretty interesting. I learned that from reading about what Bob Peoples. Uh, did with his deadlifting training Uh, and from what I understand what he would do uh, to help train at his very high level is he would do negatives he had some kind of hydraulic uh, apparatus that let him start at the top 
and then he would slowly lower it down. I think he took a fairly long time to lower it. And he emphasized that you have to do it in the same pattern that your positive concentric deadlift would be. A lot of people, when when they, they set the bar down, they just kind of ragdoll it back down. Don't do that in your training. Try to set it down like you're actually lifting the bar. It's the reverse of that, not just some flop. Uh, so that's how he would work up to, he, he found that when he could do four controlled negatives, he was ready to lift that weight one time concentrically. And he also kind of theorized that if you could, if you were able to hold on to it, that underhand grip would be better because that lets you keep the bar closer to your body. And I think he's right based on- Well, that makes sense. Pretty heavy but your, your grip just can't hold on to it. So if you could hook yourself double underhand, maybe yeah. that would be the way to go uh, in theory. I don't know. That sounds like, that sounds terrible, but the hands <laughs> uh, that you can help uh, strengthen your bicep with that. And I found when I was deadlifting by switching hands uh, each side, I would do odd number sets, you know, like five sets of five and stuff. So I ended up actually uh, the heaviest set would be on the, grip that I was less natural to me like this way mm-hmm. and so it conditioned that side uh to the point where now I don't they don't really feel different to me like I can actually forget which side I did because they feel so even to me. Um, so just make sure you're alternating your mix grip when you do that yeah you get a lot of guys that never alter their that and then like one hips off and they're all weird like yeah it's always back and their shoulders messed up on that side because they never switched their mix grip. Yeah. And just in general, you know, you want to do throw in some one arm lifting. Like I really like one arm snatches. That was a recent milestone for me, uh, not snatches swings. Uh, I did a one arm dumbbell swing with 135. I'm hoping to eventually lifelong goal with that's like 150. Uh, that would be pretty cool, but that's a hard lift. Um, but at the same time, like, there, it's a lot less uh, technical mastery involved than, say, like a one-arm snap. Right, yeah. So I think Still. there's definitely, that's a low entry point to doing the one-arm lifts. Uh, it's not going to rip the skin off your hand. like, But it's uh, like a one-arm deadlift. But it, it will fly out of your hand if you don't have good uh, hand strength. So uh, yeah. it's a good functional grip strength uh, thing, too. It definitely can be limited by your grip if you don't have a good grip. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some uh, lifestyle habits you subscribe to that may benefit the average person trying to get healthy and fit? Okay, lifestyle stuff. Well, I would say um, a big thing that I don't always do, I'll get off the bat, it's kind of low-hanging fruit, is uh, make sure you get enough sleep. The the main, you know, governing bodies, that I should not governing bodies, but the research bodies, societies, uh, scientific um, associations that study sleep, their general recommendation is for you to get at least seven hours. Uh, so make sure you do that. If you actually are getting enough sleep, you tend to spontaneously lose weight <laughs> anyway and get leaner. Uh, and that has to do with uh, your, it messes with your energy homeostasis. You actually crave sweet foods when you're sleep deprived. Uh, so make sure you get enough sleep. 
you, you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that's good advice. It's like, well, then why aren't you doing it? Like, just just make the extra time. Uh, there's all sorts of things you can do um, for sleep hygiene. I would say, uh, you know, a couple of things that help with that melatonin at night. People say like, oh, I don't want to get addicted. It's not addicting. Daily show that. Um, magnesium supplement at night seems to help a lot of people. Uh, something that I think helps quite a bit is glycine supplements. Uh, yeah. 300 yeah. grams of glycine at night. It functions as an inhibitory neurotransmitter in your body. So taking that before night. Uh, and uh, something that um, I try to do too is I wear um, blue light filtering glasses uh, once it gets dark when I'm on the computer. There's so much light during the day that that doesn't really matter, but at night, uh, yeah. it's going to help you just because you are uh, experiencing light when you should be getting more uh, biofeedback from yeah. how dark it is outside. So that's something that you can do to, to help with that. So I think sleep's important. For diet, for me, uh, I would say I don't describe to a low-carb diet. I'm not really big into bad diets, but I will say an easy way to kind of cut out unnecessary calories is starch in foods. That's easy yep. for me because I starches tend to taste kind of bland to me, uh, so I don't like crave them. But um, most, I would say, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about like, uh, you know, hidden sugars or sugar sweetened stuff. I would say the thing that sneaks into people's diet the most is uh, starch, actually. Uh, you, you know, every, there's a certain um, idea people have that a meal isn't complete unless it has a meat, a starch, and a vegetable, uh, but they don't like to eat the vegetable, so they, they skip on that, and <laughs> then they eat a bunch of starch instead. Or they think that uh, the starch that they have counts as their vegetable. It doesn't. Uh, stop doing that. Uh, so, Sweet potato is not a vegetable. <laughs> and and that's the interesting thing with that is, though, is that you can take something like a sweet potato that has a lot of sugar and stuff when you cook it. But if you were to take that same thing and eat it raw, uh, now you have a lot of more resistant starch in there. So certain uh, foods, uh, I would say, uh, can be worth cooked most of the time. It's not a big deal either way. Uh, other thing along with that, talking about food choices, more cruciferous vegetables, so things like broccoli uh, would be good. You know, leafy greens, uh, I would say that. Uh, something that I uh, like to, I think from a supplement standpoint, it's very underrated, is vitamin K2. Uh, you don't really get that in a lot of foods, uh, except for fermented foods, but that's actually really important for bone health. Uh, and if you're training heavy, you're putting stress on your bones, you want those bones. Uh, to get stronger, so that's a good one. It's so also drink wine. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So just drink some wine. No. <laughs> yeah, you can, I mean that's the other uh, interesting thing. So this is putting on my uh, nutrition scientist hat. Uh, data consistently shows that moderate alcohol consumption yeah. is associated with better that's health. That's day is yeah, pretty good for you. Complete abstinence anyway. Uh, that has to do with a couple of things. Um, as far as like with uh, beer, uh, you have you get silicone from that. So dietary yeah. silicone is actually helpful for bones. The non-mineral component of bones is a good nutrient for that. Uh, wine has resveratrol. Uh, things like whiskey and aged spirits have L-tannins in them. So uh, there are some benefits. You know, you just don't. You know, if you're a guy, just you know, try not to make a habit of drinking more than three a night. Uh, and if you're a woman, like. You know, probably one and a 
it's not to say you can't ever have more than that, but you know, just you know, your total weekly quantity shouldn't be like an average of six. We'll just say that. <laughs> but uh, so some other healthy habits, um, I would say, uh, you know, I would say don't be afraid to try uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, I think that's yeah. something that can be helpful. So some people like to do on days and off days. What I just try to do is extend the fast period from from last time I have dinner uh, to when I eventually have breakfast. So yeah. a lot of the, the benefits that they realize now that came from uh, these animal studies that involved like severe calorie restriction, it was more having to do with the fact that they were fasting these animals for so long. They gave them so little food that it really only made sense to give them like one bolus, one meal a day. Uh, well, when they, when they finally sat down and looked at and spreading out those same amount of calories, uh, it, it nullified a lot of the benefits. So really it's that fasting state, uh, that seems to help metabolically reset you. And I think that's, what's important. And I think that's why we're seeing so much, uh, diabetes and metabolic disease in society yeah. because of this recommendation of, Oh, to not be hungry, you should be constantly eating. Yeah. No, that's not how people work. Uh, you need uh, this period of fasting to sensitize your insulin receptors and your incretin hormone response. Uh, so the six meals a day, I, I, unless you're, you know, Brian Shaw and you need to eat, you know, 10,000 calories, uh, that's just horseshit. So um, consider uh, intermittent fasting or really it's more narrowing the window between when you start eating breakfast in the morning and when you have dinner. Uh, keeping that within eight hours because people uh, with self-select uh, just normal habits that their feeding period is about 14 hours. So that's just from when they wake up to when they might yeah. have. Right. Um, so narrowing that window uh, is a good healthy habit for you uh, metabolically, I would say. I got a question on that. Um, a lot of diets will have you eat five times a day, but I mean, you're not eating full meals. You're eating, you know, breakfast to get your metabolism started. Then you eat like an apple for a snack. Then you eat really clean for lunch. Then you eat like a snack after that, which is straight raw vegetables. And then you eat dinner really clean. How does that compare to the other side where we're looking at a lot of intermittent fasting? Well, I would say uh, at the same time, like that's you're still kind of probably narrowing the window in terms of like when, you know, you're not probably having a snack like late at night no. you know? and your, your overall quantity is probably fairly low that you might not be actually incurring a lot of an insulin response. I think the problem with some of those is that um, you still allow, people are still allow themselves to eat things that are sort of healthy, but not really. So like some like wheat bread you know, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, or um, let's say something that seems kind of healthy, like um, oh, what do they call that? Like hummus or something. Yeah, it's good. It's got some protein. It's mostly, mostly carbs. Um, and it does have some olive oil in it, I suppose. Um, and, you know, if that some people, I, would, I should say too, some people don't tolerate extended periods of fasting very well, and they're not going to do well in that. So if that works for them, that's great if that helps them control. But I would say in general, a big part of that though too is just that if you're if it's encouraging you to eat more vegetables, that's great. And that really just might be like you just 
could get the same effect by getting more fiber in your diet and then you'll feel right. full and then you don't have to eat five times a day uh, to not feel hungry. Um, so I would say you, it's, when it comes to a diet, it's not necessarily um, this specific regimen. It might just be conforming to certain habits you find helpful uh, for your psychology. Um, something I would say too, with like I, I, the reason why most diets fail, I would say don't really have to do with whether they work or not, because they're probably doing something with a caloric deficit. It really has more to do with cultural compatibility. So just how it works in your daily regimen, how you socialize with people. So if you're on like a keto diet, for example, and then you, you show up to like the Super Bowl party, well, they got nachos and, you know, cheese, you know, they got all the, you know, the casseroles, whatever they have you for that. And it's like, all you can eat on a keto diet is basically like cheese and, and bacon yeah. or something like that. And, and it really just, or, you know, maybe there's like cake and fruit salad. They have all these desserts in addition. It's like, all you can eat maybe it's like the chicken wings, but you can't eat the chicken wings because it's got a sweet uh, glaze on them. You know, it, it's this kind of stuff where it just eventually it's like, okay, I'm just not going to eat. Well, you show up to that place, everyone's partying, having a good time and you don't want to eat any of the food. It's like, well, who's this asshole? You know, <laughs> that's what happens. And you just get yeah. tired. Of it. You just get tired of feeling like you can't do anything or yeah. you, like you can't go there because maybe, you know, you'll end up eating something anyway. And then now you're breaking ketosis. So you really have to find something that's going to be culturally compatible and something that you can stick with consistently enough. So when you do show up at a party, you can actually eat the food there yeah, exactly. and you take the mulligan for that day. Yeah. And then you're good for the other. It's not a big deal. Exactly. Stick yeah. with it. Keep going. Yeah. And that's applicable to training too. If you're training consistently and then something comes up and you got to miss a day, well, you've been so consistent. One day off isn't going to derail your training regimen. You get some of these people that are really like hyper obsessed with it and they end up overtraining because they never miss anything and they get, you know, wound up like if they have to miss a training it's like that's not how it works uh you, you, there should be room for error in or i should say time for yourself uh in your diet and your training if you're being consistent absolutely so yeah in regards to training have you uh, stumbled upon any like unusual or not often spoken about training techniques that have helped you in your uh strength career or grip career yeah, there's a more, more recent one. I talked with uh, Don Cummings. Uh, he showed me, uh, and I'd seen this exercise before. I just hadn't tried it for myself, but the exercise Bud Jeffries came up with. If you can see back here in my power rack, I actually have it set up for that exercise. There's a, uh, it's a barbell that's loaded unevenly, and you have one end as a weight, on, a small weight on the barbell, um, that side there. And the other side has the strap tied to it. And basically, you push down on one and pull on the other. And that, you know, that force you have to do to torque your torso, it really trains that steel bending position of how you have to uh, okay, yourself yeah. keep rigid. Um, so that was an interesting one. Another one that, that a lot of sense. Uh, he showed me while I was there is uh, what I have set up there, too, is this um, elastic band uh, hooked up to the top. And basically, you loop the steel bar you want to bend and pull into it. So do a high pull. 
you're not pulling up like an upright row, you're pulling it into you. Mm -hmm. And this helped me develop the flexibility to actually do double overhand bending. Okay. I was always terrible at this before because I couldn't get into a position. I would always reverse bend the bar. Yeah, that's what I need is I can't get that flexibility to save my life. Yeah, that's, that's the only here. reason I was good at the double overs because I was really flexible in my upper body. Because he's Gumby. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I just I couldn't get into a position without feeling like I was about ready to separate my shoulders from my. That's torso. that's me. I can't do that. Yeah, well, this wow. helped me. Like it's it, taking that, taking the, the resistance band, taking the the. It's really one. This is a sixty penny nail. I have a really tough one here, and uh, but use a, a seven inch bar would be is better because it's easy, a little bit easier. Yeah, I'd recommend a seven inch one. That's what I practice on. But just pulling it here, and you're probably going to get stuck like here with it. That's fine. Um, and then just try to the next set, inch it in, next set, inch it in. And eventually, uh, you'll start building up that range where you can get it here. So that, that really helped me before I couldn't really do it. And that, that's what I've realized when it comes to flexibility uh, movements way better than just trying to do static stretches for that. You want to get in there and you need to build the strength in that range of motion to get your body comfortable with uh, that extended range. If you're not strong enough, and that's why you have limited range is because your body is saying, oh, the stretch response is too much. You're not strong enough in this position. Yeah. Uh, we're putting the brakes on here. But if you start working that, uh, eventually you you will feel more comfortable there so it doesn't happen overnight but uh keep working at it and it might get there for you i don't know i mean some people they uh you know maybe there's some like joint issue that they have but your muscles uh, have a pretty uh wide capacity to stretch uh further which is why when you are doing i'd say a stretching movement you want to make sure that the stretch is across the muscle belly, not on the tendons. Your tendons don't stretch that much. It's your muscle right. that can have a very large capacity. And that was what the problem was, is that I felt like it was all on my shoulder tendons. I hated that. So I needed to be able to find a position where I could actually use my muscles. So that was, that's a, uh, those were two techniques I recently thought about. As far as like unorthodox ones that I typically use, uh, so something that I came up with, maybe it's, a, I think it's kind of intuitive, maybe it's a little unorthodox, but when I train regular lifts, I try to keep in mind my goals for steel bending and grip. And so uh, a lot of times like bodybuilders doing high volume or powerlifters doing high volume, you know, they're bouncing weights. They're doing, you know, they're, or they're doing like incomplete reps, say like, you know, uh, something like this. You know, that, that's yeah. great for a pump. Uh, it helps, you know, build muscle. But that's, you're able to do that because you're storing a lot of elastic tension in your tendons and your muscles and your joints when you're doing that. Same thing kind of with, uh, even with like Olympic lifting, you know, when they finally, they squat all the way down while well, they can recover real quick because they, you know, they're bouncing that bar and then they get in position, they get it there and then they, you know, fire it off. Uh, so they're utilizing that elastic tension that they build up from those powerful movements for me. What I'm trying to do with steel bending is it's all about tension development. So if I take, say, like a press, I want to stop it, dead stop, and then, you know, go as hard as I can, 
zero to I want to work that zero to one hundred as fast as possible. That's what I think about uh, when I'm lifting, whether that's curls. I want to go all the way down, let the slack come into my muscles, stop storing that elastic tension, and train that redevelopment of tension. You know, so I want to go as fast as possible without momentum. Basically, the thing fast right. as you can without cheating, and it's about tension development and uh, not so much um, just raw power. It's about activating that strength as fast as you can. And so so I'm trying to, even in my dynamic movements, I'm thinking about how to maximally transfer that into static strength. Awesome. That makes sense. So if you could start your training all over again today with what you know now, what would you do different? Yeah, so what I kind of alluded to before is that I would definitely cut back on the volume uh, do sets of five reps instead of, you know, three sets of 10 or, uh, you know, sets of 15 or something like that. Uh, it kind of depends, though, too. I would say, like, you know, if you're, you know, young and, you know, you're, you're, you're skinny and, you know, you still have some uh, growth you can kind of do, like, uh, to expand your rib cage, I would definitely recommend, you know, those overhead uh, lat uh, extensions. That helps build out your chest, do a lot more. Uh, say like breathing squats or something uh so i think that there's some foundational stuff that can really work uh that maybe i wouldn't do so much now if i had to start all over again um but i would say for strength training in general sets of five five sets of five um some of those mean actually warm-up sets uh, and just focusing on that more so and uh, you know still sticking with the big compound list but don't feel like you have to do all these different like accessory lifts. Like I, I feel like like leg extensions. I never got anything out of them. If you're doing squats uh, or hack squats or something like that, you know that's good. That's good. Make sure you're just doing full range of motion on those. Uh, don't spread yourself too thin. That's what I do. I've wanted to do everything. You know, as well as bodybuilding. I wanted to look. Oh, I wanted to do. Oh, I wanted big squat. Oh, I wanted to do strong. Uh, just focus on a couple of things uh, at a time and try to meet those goals. And when you meet those goals, you know, you move on to other things. Uh, and that's what I try to do now. There's only, it's, you know, it's like, a, I would liken it to like, you know, people that are polyglots, people that can speak a lot of different languages. You know, somebody can speak like 12 different languages, but there's really only like four that they can have in the forefront of their mind, but you know, the, the rest they kind yeah. of fade back as they have to use ones and don't use the others. There's really only so many lifts you can actively train for and improve at the same time. And I say, you know, a couple just because like, you know, you don't want it to be the only thing you need. There, there needs to be some kind of stimulus from doing other stuff. But, you know, it's one of these things that I think people overemphasize like, oh, you need you need to confuse your muscles. You're going to get over adaptation. If you do. It's like, well, that's true. You can get stagnant from doing the same thing over and over again. But I can tell you, you're not going to up your deadlifting by not deadlifting. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So, <laughs> there's only there's a few lists that can be at the forefront, and then the rest have to fade back. So you know, as far as like progressing on an individual lift over say like ten years, it's a seesaw kind of thing. You know, you're yeah. gonna go you're gonna go down, but you're still keeping going up uh, as the trajectory. Just don't get discouraged that when you come back to it, you've lost that. So most of the time, I'm yeah. pretty happy with I revisit a lift, and without it, having touched it in a long time, I, I'm at like. 85, 90% of where I was before. So it's like, okay, still pretty good. Um, so that's why I would say, try not to stretch myself too thin. 
uh, cut back on the volume and, uh, you know, keep uh, hammering that uh, technique because I think that's my biggest strength though too is my technique's very good uh, and that helps prevent injuries. But in the long term, that is what will help you make more consistent gains. And then you also don't lose traction trying to retrain all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess the only other thing I would say too is probably would have wanted to do um, some uh, brace steel bending more consistently. I was younger, so I'd get better at that. Uh, yeah. I definitely um, wish I would have figured out how to bend horseshoes a lot earlier than I did. I couldn't <laughs> get the hang of it for the longest time until I finally got hold of a horseshoe that was easy enough to do, and then it started to click for me. But th those would be the things I think I would change. So this next one might be tough for you since you're a home gym hero. What is the most important piece in your home gym and why? Oh, that's a good point. I mean, the, the basic one, I would say, um, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, it's got the, the most basic thing is obviously the barbell. You can't argue with that. I would say second to that uh, is the power rack. Now, I don't always use, a, I, if I had more room, I'd probably do the power rack more just because like, I really like those support kind of lifts, those uh, lockout kind of stuff. I think that's really important for bending like uh, tendon strength and stuff. So those are kind of, you know, obvious, boring answers, I would say. Um, as far as, um, let me think here. Uh, really, like, I, I guess the, the main thing is like the loading pin. You know, you need the loading pin to be able to have yeah. you know, yeah. different implements. And that's not something that a regular uh, training person uh, is going to have. They don't have, they just lift with barbells and stuff like that so the loading pin as a base for whatever you can attach it to uh, i think is really important that's what lets you do things like the one arm lifts and whatnot like the one arm handle ones um i would say another one very under appreciated was loadable olympic barbell dumbbell loadable olympic dumbbells yeah. um, most dumbbell sets that you see you can't either can't load that much or you um they're too, they're too flimsy anyway, even if you think you could put more weight on. So yeah, good quality set of dumbbells. Um, and yeah, for as much, a, a lot of the stuff I say that I do have, it's too specialized to really recommend as the piece of equipment. Um, so yeah, I would just say those are the main things. Just start, just start slowly building out yeah. your gym. Think of, start with the thing that you know you Get the most mileage of which is just a basic good quality barbell so you know i started off with like some cheap set that was like you know 140 some bucks but as i got stronger i realized that you know these weaker barbells like they tap out at super high weights that you might want to do partials with invest in uh, a good quality barbell the one that i use my good one here is like an old school uh york one i think that they made like back in like the 80s or something it was recommended as as a good one uh from strongman archaeology james fuller uh he yep. uh when i found that in the craigslist ad i knew i had to get that one um so and then there's some other ones like so i got this um safety squat bar for squats just because like it was killing me like i do high bar squats i don't like low bar i want to train high bar but it was just killing my neck <laughs> to do yeah. that yeah. so 
but you can only really do squats and squat partials on that. And it's an important piece of equipment, but you can only do a couple of real lists to make sense. Um, the, the, honestly, what I, what I used for when I was in grad school, uh, the main things that I had was my thick bar, my two inch bar, and a set of uh, handstand handles uh, made out of pipe fittings and stuff. And I would do body weight stuff with handstands, planches, and stuff like that. Um, and I had uh, only about 100 some pounds or so. So I would do things like uh, one arm lifts or one legged lifts. You know, uh, I had a uh, sandbag that I partially filled, so that was pretty cheap. So a sandbag is a good uh, piece of equipment if you don't have a lot of space. Uh, and hopefully you can yeah. contain yeah. the mess if <laughs> it's uh, there. So that's what I had uh, for bare minimum equipment. I was just doing handstand stuff, had a, a, a thick barbell, and I had a sandbag that weighed about, you know, 200 some pounds. And that's what I did in my uh, studio apartment that was very small. And I, I got steadily stronger doing that. So. Nice. So, uh, yeah, we're getting down to our last questions here. So, um... I want to know who are you looking out? Who are you watching in grip sport? That's an up and coming. Like, who are you looking out for? Who are you watching? And um, if you have anything else to say just to the fans out there or people that are watching about starting their own home gym or just getting into grip sport in general. Yeah. So I would say the person I probably watched the most is a uh, Clint uh, Ziegler. He's, he beat me in the arm lifting USA. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was someone to look out for. Uh, in yep, 2020 King Kong and he did pretty well uh, this past year too so he's definitely been doing uh, really well um, so I think that's someone that I'm kind of looking out for um, a lot of the, I would say I know a lot of the guys already that are kind of already big uh, so as far as people that are up and coming um, I don't know I, I, I feel like uh for me, a lot of times it's like, well, I'm going to like really pay close attention to you. So you got to show me something. <laughs> yeah. Something, uh, something really wild. And, uh, yeah. uh so, um, yeah, this, I, I guess I, I, and I put the other thing too, is like, I'm bad with names. <laughs> so I probably yeah. wouldn't uh, know, but actually, you know what, there was, there was a couple of guys that I hadn't seen before at the, uh, arm with USA champion. And there was one particular um, young man who was very young, and uh, he he hung pretty well. I think he was only about 18 years old. Yeah, and a very bright future. If I had the list of athletes, I could tell you who he was, um, but I, his name eludes me. So I was it Yvonne Shook? No, it was another young kid. Oh, okay, because um, that yeah. guy has some crazy grip strength too at 18. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard uh, Yvonne before, but yeah, I know. So I, I could probably pull it out if I, if I remember, but, uh, as far as, uh, so that's kind of my take on that. Uh, as far as starting your home gym, uh, as I mentioned for, like I started my home gym just because like I would go to gyms that work out and they didn't have what I was looking for. They, you know, most of these gyms, these commercial gyms, they didn't even have like power racks. It's like, well, I want a spot without killing myself. You're like, come on. Like, I, and I don't have a spotter because I don't have anyone to train with that can hang with me let alone like finding somebody that I trust to spot me. Yeah. Um, so I just want the power rack. So if I have to drop this thing, 
it's not going to hurt. And these places didn't have power racks, or they would have these open power racks that weren't like caged. It's like, well, I don't want to flop my ass backwards and still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I want it to be completely enclosed. Like, it doesn't do any good. And plus, like, the things slant down. So if you do have to drop the bar, the barbell's like rolling backwards. And then you can't push it up because you're draining heavy. Like, I mean, it's so a bunch of horseshit. And it's, <laughs> it's, it, that's all I really wanted was a power. And they didn't even have that. And like, the weights only, the dumbbells only go up to like 80 pounds. You know, if you're lucky, yeah. a place goes up to 120. It's like, well, if I want to do a one arm, you know, swing, that's too light. <laughs> so uh, it was just, I got tired of that. So started with the basic barbell uh, weight set. There's a lot you can do with that. There's enough there with just a barbell and a basic weight set. Some of these like uh, horse rubber mats, uh, they, they call them like horse mats, but like horse stalls and stuff like that. You just lay down the mats for something you don't want to screw up the floor on. And uh, you, you know, the barbell can do a lot. And if, if you you max out what you already have just start doing one arm stuff like i started doing one-legged squats because i didn't have enough weight to squat and i got pretty good at it and my best one-legged squat is 145 uh so that i thought that was pretty good uh most people I yeah guess, yeah for that um, but that's <laughs> a really good lift you can do that uh with a very minimal amount of weight you just and so that was 145 and you can squat super heavy with just a hundred pounds, if you are willing to do one-legged squats, yeah. and if you want to do two-legged squats, well, you just save up and you buy another pair of forty-fives, and eventually, you know, you have enough to do that. And if you don't have a power rack, then you do Steinberg squats. You know, there's there's just ways to work around it if you're determined enough. And it doesn't mean it's not a pain in the ass. It just means like you just got to do a little bit more. So once you get that, then you probably want to get a power rack. And once you get the power rack. You know, like I said, probably next thing is a good set of loadable dumbbells. Uh, and then you can start really getting into the specialty stuff if you want to. You know, it's just a, a progress over time. And I say, think about before you make your next purchase, just think about how many things you can do with that. Yeah. Um, the first the first barbell, it's like, oh, you know, that, that does everything for you. Well, your next barbell, maybe you want it to be specifically a deadlifting bar, or maybe you want it to be, uh, and Olaf bar, you know, they have differences in width and slack and stuff like that. So, you know, you might want to think about those things. Maybe you want a trap bar. So always think about the number of things you can do with a piece of equipment at first before you start to get overly specialized. And think about, too, about things that you could reasonably make yourself. So, uh, for instance, like, you know, if you don't want to buy a real uh, thick bar, you can get some pipe and just reinforce it some way. I mean, if you're, uh, you might not be strong enough to really tax that. Uh, I don't recommend that. The other thing I would say, if you're, uh, this is what I was getting into um, before, like there's different tiers of how into it someone would be that I would recommend. So if you're talking about grip training and somebody just says, how do I get my grip stronger? I just want to have a stronger grip. You know, I don't compete. Um, I, I do a little bit of, uh, you know, work at the Y, but, you know, my wrists are, kind of weak. I would tell them, like, you know, the best thing to do if you could do one thing and you're not going to invest a lot in your train is thick bar training, you know, get yourself some fat grips. And yep, yeah. the thing with thick bar training is, is that because of the wider grip, it trains your thumb because of the way you have to, have to orientate your hand. 
it taxes your fingertips because you're so, your hand's now extended and the weight wants to roll out of your hand. And it taxes your wrist because it wants to roll out of your hand and also your hands too. And the thing too, this is good for people that aren't normally doing grip because you actually kind of have to squeeze these things. They give a little. Um, so for a person who doesn't do grip training, but they need to get stronger in their grip, I really recommend this. Uh, for somebody who's a serious gripster, you need to buy an axle. It does not feel the same. Yeah. So if yep. you're about grip and you want to train that, you should get the axle. This thing uh, kind of sucks, but in the absence of anything else, this is very good. Now, some events out there are using these um, to lend themselves to more people having access to them because the axle bar is good. Yeah. But this is, an, this is a good example of what I would recommend to a lay person trying to get stronger and not what I would recommend to a hardcore gripster. But so they're kind of yep. From there, uh, so this is like if you could only have one thing, if you could, do, if you're willing to do more, I would say start looking into some kind of wide pinch block uh, to really increase that thumb strength. People that don't train grip uh, normally, their their last two fingers and their thumbs are weak. They don't utilize them that much. They're, yeah. they're over reliant on their first two fingers. So that wide pinch really helps make up for those deficits. Uh, trap people fall into, I think, getting into grips is using uh, grippers. Uh, you know, a tin, I was watching the cast, uh, the video you guys did with uh, Tim Butler, and he was saying like how he got into grips and he was overtraining them. He got to nice, like they they seemed fun at first, yeah. and most people have an experience with uh, you know this gripper when they were a kid, and oh, it was tough, and uh, they so they see the the captain's a crush, and they want to like, oh, I'm gonna close a three or something like that, but. Grippers really don't translate that well to other forms of grip strength. So if you're trying to just build up your grip strength in general, I think they're a beginner's trap to fall into because they're fun. Uh, they seem very tangible. It's something that other people say, oh, give me a try at that. Like, oh, I can't do it. It's like, oh, but I can't. You know, you, you have all sorts of fun with it. But uh, you have to buy multiple ones to progress with that. There's, yeah, uh, and they yeah. don't, like I said, you have to buy like five of them to even get like a training range with them. Uh, they yeah. don't translate well to stuff. Uh, if you do want to get into that, I rec actually recommend extension springs, uh, spring grippers. This is an Ivanko Super Gripper. I think yeah. they make production ones of these. Uh, another one is David O'Korn has his Vulcan uh, Gripper. So mm -hmm. that's more like uh, the extension spring grippers because of the angle yeah. on it. Um, but the thing is, is that these grippers don't translate even that well to those grippers. That exactly. <laughs> so they're so specific, they don't even translate well to themselves. And part of that is, though, too, I think anyway, is that, you know, it, it's most people suck at them, too, when they first get them because they want to just grab like, like they're grabbing their hand, like they're closing their fist. But a gripper, in order, you have to, you have to get it set and you're doing this and you're actually like, doing this with your hand you're not even yep. you're not even closing your your damn hand like you're doing this <laughs> yeah like yep. it's like a monkey trying to drink from a beer stein like what's yeah. that? <laughs> it's very strange yeah so it's like uh, it, the grippers are just their own thing which uh i think and i think that's why they've kind of uh, i've noticed anyway they've kind of faded a bit yeah. from a uh, regular rotation and, and grips for competition at least in the ones that i've been doing because you just need a bunch of them 
they're not consistent with each other. Yeah. Um, they have to be in-person ones. You can't do something like King Kong with them for sure. Um, so yeah, it's not, I should say too, in full disclosure, I'm not very good at grippers. Uh, I, I would say I, I can, the best I've done is I close like a, a level three Captain's a Crush uh, gripper. Um, and I've, I've done a hold with, uh, uh, the silver dollar holds I can do like 3.5 for a few seconds or something like that so it's definitely not my specialty but uh, it's definitely a beginner's trap I would say um, the other is, so that as an aside other thing as far as like if you could do three things so I mentioned like the, uh, the thick bar uh, the wide pinch um, definitely start looking at doing like some extensor work uh, as to even out just basically I mean just take like the rubber bands you get from like broccoli or asparagus or yeah. something you should be eating anyway. And do, do some of these. Really though, the, the trick to, to training extensor stuff with the rubber bands is you need to grab something like this, like a lid say, and you need to be opening up your hand to a width. Otherwise you just keep doing this and you get smaller and smaller and you're like hardly doing anything. You need to actually yeah. tell yourself like, are you meeting your goal with that? And that's what counts. And if you can't do it, you know, just rest or, you know, get more rubber bands or whatever. But um, just keep that in mind so you're not just aimlessly doing this all the time. Um, and, oh, so the other thing, too, is I would recommend as a really low budget item is plate curls. Um, so oh, yeah. Fingertips as well as your wrists. So you can do plate curls, plate wrist curls. Um, those are really good if you don't have, you don't want to do any specialty equipment. If you now, if you do want to start getting into the specialty equipment, I definitely recommend um, something like a flask, uh, some pinch trainer. Because uh, if, if you didn't have a flask, you could just keep pinching like 225 pound plates and add like a loading pin to it. If you want to get more serious, I would say get something that's an actual pinch block. Uh, for that, it doesn't have to necessarily be a flask, that's kind of the standard. I really like tip tester style lifts. Um, this is uh, the uh, mini tips tester from Barrel Strength Systems. Notice here it's a handle, but there is a bar divided through it. So you can't wrap your fingers all the way around it. That's why it's a tip tester. It's giving you tension on your fingers. That's another dimension. Um, so you got to be careful with these types of lifts. You can damage your tendons. You ease into this. Do not max out. Do not test your limits on these when you first get these. Uh, you need to condition yourself for that. Um, vertical bar is the next kind of, that's in the next kind of like, I would say top five essential ones, some kind of uh, loading, a handle that you could put onto the loading pin, whether that's a little big horn, uh, FBBC jug, um, the fence post, or just, you know, the, the, the one from FBBC. So vertical bars are the other, another big one uh, to work on too. And then from that, either like some kind of inch dumbbell trainer or a rolling handle style lifts, like a crusher or something like that. So that well, now that you, if you're talking about, so now you like crushers, uh, vertical bar, uh, pinch device, in addition to a fat bar and wide pinch, uh, those kind of ones there plus extensive pain. That's your base for now. You're starting to get into actual grip sports specific. Yep. Yep. That's what you, if you're going to go into that space, that's what you need to start off with. I have all sorts of uh, mini 
stuff. I, I the one I like grip strength because they can do all sorts of stuff. I would say those six are what you start with before you try to go crazy and invest all your money and all that stuff. Awesome. That was really good. Thank you. Well, yeah. um, before we let you go, do you have any questions for us, Couch Potato Strong, or uh, any particular golden potato records you're going to be uh, aiming for? Uh, well, the most the thing that I was interested in the most is just seeing what I can do max deadlift on. I saw it too, like some people were doing pull-ups. So it's been a while since I did weighted pull-ups. We'll see. Actually, that was one of that's one of my blunders that I did. So I was doing one arm pull-up training. I wanted to do I wanted to do a one arm pull-up. And I was doing negatives with two arm pull-ups. And I ended up like pulling my what some muscle in my lat right here. I got oh. there. So uh I, I stopped striving for that and I was kind of hitting more for the uh, vertical flag, the front flag. Uh, yeah. I said I didn't quite get that, but I got close. I need to start hitting that again. Uh, so my plan was I was going to train for that before I started doing the one-arm pull-up again. So I'm a little leery about weighted pull-ups, but uh, the concentric motions should be good. So I, I was I, I think the best I've done is like an extra 110 pounds extra. I, wow. I think I've done that for at least a couple of reps on that. So I, that would be something interesting too. But yeah, the, the feel of it sounds good. But I would just say like, um, you know, what's, it seems like, you know, you kind of do a lot of difference, like old times, like like regular strongman stuff, just regular thing. But you guys do like more old time lifts or are you curious about that? Or it seems like you kind of just, I, I saw too, like uh, your um, uh, the Bruce Lee, uh, training device. You have that in the mm -hmm. background, that homemade. I thought that was so cool. You showed, you had that video showing that you made that. Is it called? Is it Wing Chun? Yeah, the Wing Chun. Yeah, Wing, yeah. yeah, yeah. So stuff like that, I think, is really cool. Yeah, I've been in martial arts like uh, pretty much all my life. Adam's been in martial arts a long time too, and his kids yeah. are in martial arts. So that's always been an aspect of our training. Um, yeah, we grew up watching like World's Strongest Men, just like you watched it every Christmas. And so when we built our home gym, we wanted to do some fun stuff. So we made some Atlas stones and made a Hercules hold and made some things and then decided if we were going to compete or actually get good at anything, it was probably going to wind up being grip because mm -hmm. I'm almost 40 years old. You know, I'll be 40 in a few years. And, you know, uh, Adam's not young enough to really jump into a strength sport and like learn it and become awesome at it. Exactly. You know, it's just not going to happen. So grip is just a, a place where you can play around for a long time. I mean, look at Ode Haugen. You know, you can play around with the grip until you're old as ever and continue to kick butt. So we figured it'd be a fun one to do. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people, I think, underestimate. Like they they think um, they look back on like their athletic days and say high school and they're in like their 30s and they think they're over the hill. Well, it has to do with like uh, speed and power uh, start to decline fairly sharply after your mid 20s. But strength. Uh, just regular slow strength continues to go up uh, into your like 40s. And mm -hmm. if you're yep. staying active, yep. you can maintain it uh, well in past your 60s. Uh, really, the only barrier is that everyone kind of hits like uh, uh, the irreversible <laughs> decline in like around your mid 70s. So that's when you, that's when you can't help but get old. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. And that's yeah. different for different people. But think about that, though. You, if you regularly uh, strength train and you got to start in it before you turn 40, you can yep. maintain a high level of strength uh, well into your early 70s. 
uh, you might you might Absolutely. not uh, you might not peak at say your mid 40s late 40s yeah. or something but you could maintain something very close to that if yeah. you start with it well into your, your uh, early 70s so uh, something to think about something to, to keep at it I guess and strive for yeah, absolutely. That's why we took part of the reason why we chose grip is because we figured yep. we could get really strong, you know, going into our early forties or whatever, and then maintain and get, continue to get stronger at grip. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, I would say too, another thing that I found I'm learning, and I guess I've learned more in the past couple of years is I, when I, I had this idea that if I couldn't train heavy, it wasn't worth doing. So oh, if I was a little under the way, I can't train heavy now. It's not worth there's, I, there's a lot, and I learned this from uh, James Fuller's and Strongman Archaeology, there's a lot to be gained from just doing some movements here and there that oh, help yeah. maintain that motion, uh, some uh, working a position that uh, maybe need a little more flexibility in, or just having fun messing around with something. You don't have to go heavy um, to get something out of it. it. It doesn't necessarily need to be a main training thing, but throwing in something yeah. like weird, like Kelly snatches, uh, you don't have to try to break the bent press world record that nobody's touched in a hundred years to get value exactly. out of bent pressing. You know, so it's there's a lot more stuff out there. I think that I've realized, especially as you get older, that you can use not to you know push the limits, but just to work out some imbalances uh, and, and just have fun with. You know, just have fun with the movement of it. Take the pressure off of oh, I got to go heavier. Oh, I got to get yeah. another PR. Um, throw some stuff in there that's just kind of fun for you uh, just to do it while you can still do it you know exactly absolutely I think you have to keep doing the movement or you lose it so you just have to keep doing it even if you're not doing it heavy doing it helps tremendously and like you said have some fun with it because you don't want to just keep doing a bunch of things because you're in there you want to have a little bit of fun to reward yourself there absolutely yeah, and I think, too, it can take the pressure off of, you know, psychologically, some people really work themselves up, like, oh, I've got to train heavy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, no, okay, you don't, yeah. not everything, you don't have to work yourself up into crisis mode just to get through your workout here. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yep. Well, thanks for joining us today, Mike. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. Like I said, it's always nice having uh, talk training. Hopefully somebody gets something out of it, uh, and yeah. You had a lot of good stuff, so if they're listening, I'm sure they got something out of it for sure. Yeah, so thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you chatting with us for sure. Well, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Yep, sounds great. Have a good night. Yeah.